Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction. Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic. We provide care to adults 18-plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee. And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute. I am Patrick, an alcoholic and sex addict. And for the longest time, saying that anywhere to anyone was virtually impossible because I wouldn't even admit it to myself. It took seven treatments for me to get sober and two of them were here at Pride. So by the time I got through like my out of the hospital and uh, finished at another location, I started here, but like it does happen with some folks, my first time wasn't, didn't get me and I still had the desire to drink. And so I just kept coming back until it finally sunk in. I never really started my drinking career until like my first drink at 21 on my birthday. I never really had a big issue. It just seemed like there was no reason, no rhyme and reason to my drinking. Um, I found that I was always trying to think my way out of, of my, my issues. I've got Asperger's. So trying to find, you know, A through Z, it's like, well, I've got A, B, C, D, E. It's like, well, A is alcoholism. So yeah, I can figure that out if I just keep thinking about it and processing it. But, you know, thinking and not really dealing with the underlying issues um, never really solved anything. So hence why I kept coming back and back and back until my last time, almost six, almost seven years ago now was my seventh time was here at Pride. And that was the last time I had a drink. I've been um, excited to share my story as an alumni. I've had many opportunities to share other uh, programs that I've written, like music programs, and, and now I share that with clients. And I find that it's always interesting. I'm sitting here as a client. It's like, oh, why did, why did they do that? It's like, it's so mean. I always have to... Um, be up at this time. I always have to clean my room. I always have to take my pills and organize this. But guess what? When I got in the real world, those first couple months on my own after my seventh treatment, yeah, I'm really glad that there was so much structure, that there was so much discipline. And it's like that I needed that boost because nobody's going to do it on your own. And so now I try to just bring that message and hope from my experience to those around me. I mean, it, it is truly by the grace of God that I am here. When I drank, my blood alcohol level could get to 0. 0.578. And as most of you know, six is death. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any health effects of it, no liver cirrhosis, no nothing. So that in and of itself is a miracle. But then some of the stuff that I did when I was drinking, I went to a subway and kicked out, insisted I was the new owner, started kicking out all the customers because I said I didn't want to work. The owner said he did not want to press charges. He just wanted me to get the help that I needed. Now, if that wasn't another act of God and my higher power, I don't know what is. So I know it's not being in jail. I know it's not being dead. And I know that because I landed up here at Pride as not only a client, but now an employee that, you know, this is 
what I'm called to do. This is what I'm meant to do is, you know, take my message of, you know, all the crap that I went through and the hard lessons learned and the story and the hope and, you know, just try to inspire somebody to, you know, maybe not pick up the drink. I think one of the most rewarding things that I've experienced here is when I'm going or I'm now seeing clients come through that I went through treatment with. And I've had a couple of them actually stop and say, you know, Patrick, it's really cool to see you on that side of the desk. Mm -hmm. That is really cool. You said a lot of really uh, great things. And I love that little story about the subway um, and you, yeah, going in and trying to convince everyone that you are the owner. Um, I think that's so, that's so comical looking back on it now. Uh, but you said you never were really able to deal with these underlying issues. Um, I'm wondering if you can kind of elaborate, what were the underlying issues that you were facing that you didn't really deal with that you used um, to deal with instead? Well, um, in therapy now, I'm realizing that I've still got a, a lot of anger, uh, some resentments, just a lot of not being able to let go of the past. Um, I was hit in a really bad car accident back in 1996. Every single time, for the longest time, every single time I would have a backache, I would always say, that effing bee, she ruined my life. Oh, I hope she dies someday. And I would carry that anger and all that resentment and, and I never really dealt with it. Other things happened in my life, being in the seminary and being abused, never really dealt with that. Being kicked out of the seminary for being gay, never really dealt with a lot of that. So they might, might seem like a little bit of small thing, a little bit of small thing here, but if you never deal with all the sands in the hourglass and they keep filling it up, eventually it's going to break. Mm -hmm. And that's what I finally did is after losing my $210,000 house and my eight exotic birds and almost losing my entire family, I finally hit rock bottom and started to get sober. Patrick, I wonder, you also mentioned earlier before that you have um, Asperger's syndrome. I was wondering if you could um, define that for some of our listeners who might not know. I know a lot of people um, have probably heard about it, but I don't think a lot of people actually know exactly what it is. It is um, high-functioning Asperger's. It's sort of comical to say, but if you've ever seen the movie The Accountant, that's basically me minus all the killing. Very organized, detailed um, methodical. I always uh, try to find, I always try to think my way out of things. I always try to find the answers. It's like, okay, if this hurts, why does it hurt? If this happens, why does it happen? And if I can't get from A to Z, then I just like have either a pant to get a little anxious or, you know, then my mind goes squirreling and I start doing other things. And before I know, I've got like five different things going. I've got so many different projects and absolutely nothing gets done. And then I look back and say, for the love of all that's holy, what, what's going on here? And I could never figure it out until I started opening up and being honest with my therapist and just saying, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. I don't, I mean, it doesn't seem normal that I, I mean, everybody forgets, but it doesn't seem like I, I can walk into any room and remember things sometimes or my social skills suck 
trying to connect with people sometimes, trying to read emotions sometimes. I mean, somebody could be very upset and they'll say something and it's like sometimes I can interpret it as that they're not really upset, but it's like the opposite emotion. So, I mean, it's a lot of these things that uh, define what Asperger's is. And it's, I've got different pieces of different parts of it. But then once I went through like all of the testing and now a lot of the working and using a lot of the skills and some of the skills that I'm actually using now are the skills that I learned back at Pride that even the therapist that I went to through all the testing said, it's like, well, you've got a great foundation because yeah, that those are some of the skills that we teach you now. DBT work, CBT work, uh, a lot of mindfulness and, you know, just using all of these things helped me get through the day so that when I see now a client who has Asperger's, I don't even need to look at their file or know much about them. It's just, it's that instant connection because you just, you sense the, the awkwardness because that's how I felt and how I still feel sometimes the, the awkward, the, um, the just uncomfortability being around people and people wouldn't believe me if they didn't know me, but I am really more of an extrovert. I don't like crowds. I don't like really being around people, but I mask my fears. I mask my anxieties well, and I process those by using the skills and sort of go from there. So if I'm hearing correctly, that means that you found out after you had gone to treatment that um, you had Asperger's? Correct. This was actually just uh, this past year during oh, COVID, wow. okay. during this COVID time. And so then for you, because something you mentioned was social anxiety, which I think is really common for a lot of people um, who have substance use disorder. Did, mm-hmm. your, did that diagnosis, I guess, kind of um, give you a sense of relief as it pertains to your addiction? Like, did it answer any questions or um, what was that like for you? What was the experience of that diagnosis like? One of my, one of the questions my therapist asked is why do you want to go through this testing? Are you trying to prove something? I mean, what's, what's, if you get the diagnosis, what will it do? And the biggest thing that it did is, yeah, it gave me, it gave me answers. It gave me some closure and it gave some explanation that, yeah, okay. I see why I, it didn't work, how I was trying to get myself to stop drinking that. Okay. Logically, I would think A to Z, and if I lock my booze in the file cabinet, then lock that lock and put that key in the file cabinet in the other room, then lock that one and put that file key down in the basement and lock that door and put that key. And it was just like, well, yeah, I'll do all these things. And scientifically, that that should work. I mean, it would make sense. But it's like it never worked. It's like I don't get it. And then I, I came here and... It was like, oh, okay, I guess really I came to these realizations that, yeah, I, I, I am different, but I don't like saying different. But then once I got the diagnosis, it was more like, okay, it's just me, but now I understand. Now I can grow. Now I can use my tools even better to stay sober and to stay in recovery and when I do that, I'm able to share that with those around me, hence step work. That's amazing. And it's it's interesting too, because, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like 
you know, your diagnosis kind of answered some questions that you might've had about around surrounding control and kind of given a voice to that or given, I, I guess, like Absolutely. something to fall back on. Um, yes. and it's interesting because when you use substances, clearly there is no control. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm just thinking out loud, like, I wonder if you were craving the mentality or the state of mind where like, you don't have to worry about things being in order. You can just be chaotic. Things don't have to make sense. Um, is that, I think that's probably why I, my drinking would get so high because I was a total blackout drinker that one was never enough. And I never poured it into a glass. Everything was always straight from the bottle and it was always at least a hundred percent proof or more. Cause I wanted to make sure that I go from A to Z and if I couldn't get to Z, then I didn't want to have to deal with A at all. And mm. I finally found, Hey, I can do it this way. But then after doing it for this way for so long, then I found, you know what? I really screwed up my life. And now I got to like get out of this hole and use these other skills and, and go from there. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned also that now you work for Pride. What's the difference been and what's it been like transitioning from being in front of the desk to being behind that? It's been an interesting transition. I, I definitely, like I had previously mentioned, I, I now understand more of why we do the things we do. It's not because we're trying to be invasive or or rude or trying to spy on clients. It's like, we're always trying to keep them safe. We're trying to, you know, uh, if you, if you don't have structure, like I mentioned earlier too, it's like, it's a lot of this structure that, that if I wouldn't have had, I probably wouldn't be sitting here now sober and that it just, I'm able to, it's humbling yet, um, not really disappointing, but more encouraging that, like, like I said, I've, I've seen now some clients go through who I went through treatment with and to see their struggle, it, it just, it's, it hurts because I remember where I was and I want to say, Hey, you know, if you just do this, then you get sober. But then I have to remember, you know, I can't fix everything. I'm not God. I need to realize, release that power. And it just, it's, it's very humbling but yeah, it, it's uh, stressful and it's a lot of work. And, but then it's always nice. Like I said, when I, when you have a client just come up and say, you know, thanks, it's a hectic day here and you're not being hectic and or just, you know, I'm glad you're here. Or, you know, just something simple like that, or thanks for sharing your story. Or, you know, when I see somebody having a panic attack or an anxiety attack, it's like, Hey, I've been there. I know, I know why you're panicking. It's like you're you're going through withdrawals. You're you're having pause issues. You're you're doing all this, and now I'm on this side of it, and I understand it a lot more. So then I can help and be even more effective doing my twelve step work. So you've talked a lot about the skills, the skills that you use in your everyday life to keep yourself sober, to get from point A to point Z. Um, will you just touch on some of those skills that have helped you? Uh, my biggest is um, a lot of my DBT skills that I learned. I, I took a, um, a year-long DBT class at Nystrom Associates. Highly recommend that to anybody. It doesn't matter where you go, but trying to get into those programs 
and learning those skills and, and learning things like mindfulness and changing the channel and just different ways of thinking about things that when I get the urge to drink that I don't need to, that I've got other, that I can change the channel, that I can, I can do something else when somebody cuts me off in, in road, instead of getting making road rage, I can do something else and, you know, understand, use the mindfulness. It's like, well, okay, they're a little old lady. They're probably having some issues. And so, you know, just incorporating everything into everyday life, uh, and again, another big thing is mindfulness. I start every day and I end every day with my meditation and my mindfulness. One of the things I just shared with the clients last, or at my last presentation was about how I was getting my faith back. And one of the things that really inspired me was when I was here, we had um, the monk come in every, like the first Saturday of the month. And the thing that he taught us was the Nam Myoho Renge Kyo which is the, basically the Buddhist mantra. And ever since then, I incorporated that into my life and have been bringing back more of my faith and understanding better like what my higher power is and who my God is and, and where my strength comes from. That's amazing. Thank you for being here today, Patrick. We appreciate your perspective. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices. You can find us where you find all your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. We'll see you next time.